I'm Ryan Miller, Crops Extension Educator. Earlier this morning, we recorded an episode of the Strategic Farming Field Notes program. Strategic Farming Field Notes is a weekly program addressing current crop production topics. A live webinar is hosted at 8 a.m. on Wednesdays throughout the cropping season. During the live webinar, participants can join in the discussion and get questions answered. An audio recording of the live program is released following the webinar via podcast platforms. Thanks, and remember to tune in weekly for a discussion on current cropping and crop management topics. And uh, we're happy that you joined us today for this session, and we're going to be talking about uh, prevent plant and late planting decisions. That'll be our focus today. And again, a uh, reminder that these sessions are brought to you from U of M Extension and also generous support from the Minnesota Soybean Research and Promotion Council and the Minnesota Corn Growers Research and Promotion Council as well. So I'm Liz Stahl. I'm a regional extension educator out of Worthington, and we also have uh, Ryan Miller. He's a regional extension educator out of the Rochester office moderating today. And our speakers today will be Dave Bow. He's an extension educator in ag business management. And then Dr. Seth Nave. He's our extension soybean specialist with the U of M. With that, um, just kind of a little bit of background. Again, you know, things have, have been looking better now. There was a while here where it looked like we we're going to really have, you know, some significant acres of prevent plant in Minnesota. Uh, we still have, of course, farmers, you know, a seed in the bag. Uh, things have, I think, you know, we've had an opportunity to get more of the corn in. Just looking at like the USDA uh, National Ag Statistics Service report for Minnesota. And this comes out uh, on Monday. So, uh, as of June 5th, you know, corn, we were 93% planted. Uh, the five-year average is 96. So we're just about up to that five-year average, even though, again, you know, that's, that's uh, um, still have a little bit to go in. Uh, but soybeans were 72% planted where that five-year average is at 90%. So we still have acres to go in uh, there yet too. And, and again, some parts of the state are in a much better shape than others, but you no, know, there's a lot of farmers that just have some fields here and there uh, left to plant or uh, they might have to do some replanting too. So um, again, you know, we look at those final dates for uh, crop insurance are coming up too, but I will let Dave uh, Bao talk about that first because he's got a nice little tool that helps people with that decision, you know, what to do. Because again, as we're facing those dates or getting past those late dates, it's kind of like, what should we do? Should we, you know, switch to a different crop? Should we take that prevent plant or not? Um, so I'll turn it over to you, uh, Dave, first. All right, I'm going to start by sharing my screen and show you some uh, a spreadsheet we have. Uh, basically, um, it's online, and what I did is I updated on the left all the cells that on the screen that are uh, shaded and kind of like off light yellow. You can change. Uh, it's a cell spreadsheet. So I had a marketing group meeting yesterday morning, and our cash prices for new crop were just close to six sixty for corn and fourteen ninety for soybeans cash yesterday. Futures prices, I lowered them a little bit. I'm just be a little conservative. If you go on the website, there are a lot lower prices in the example to start with. And I put a planning date of June 10th in here for examples, and then it lowers the yields. And we've got the agronomist on this team call, so they can help you with, I know Liz has got some postings on what to expect for yields, but it does automatic calculations for yield potential of those planning dates. And then you can, like I said, you can change your APH on your farm and look at those different things. And then, then you go on the right, it's modified from Minnesota. You have these headings on the top. So you want the different sections by the headings. So first of all, replant decisions when corn is already planted. So like Liz said, we have, as we to work today, there's a lot of areas that are, we're starting to dry up a little bit. Our water holes are disappearing. But on top of that, we had 
those drought areas. So do you want to plant them or not? So this kind of gives you an idea on June 10th, what's the yield potential, what's the revenue potential, if you switch to soybeans and plant that water hole for that. If you scroll down on the spreadsheet, it gives you a line by line comparison of the different options. Just harvest the corn as is, replant the corn, you're gonna get more revenue, even over the expenses, and then um, switch to soybeans. So it looks like soybeans would be the worst option in that case, but replanting the corn in the spot would be valuable yet on June 10th. Then if you have late planting decisions, uh, corn is not planned. So like we're past the, uh, we're still on the late planting season. You can still plant corn, but do you want to um, is the question. And <clears throat> it gives you six examples. So plant late, preventive planting gives you a payment indemnity right there of $423 an acre. And if you switch to soybeans, you, you maybe pick up some extra income there, but it shows you the different calculations of yield potential. Again, you can punch your old numbers here for added cost per acre. Uh, if you do these different activities and then you have three plant decisions for soybeans is the next heading so again if you've got soybeans planted and, and they are some areas didn't get come up and, and want to grow um, <clears throat> you can look at those options shows you the income is very similar there on those two the bottom line view so it's kind of a toss-up for you if you want to look at that on june 10th um, for the yield potential on those groundnut areas and then here at the last if you haven't planted your beans yet on june 10th or you're going to plant them and then um, what's the benefit so you're better off to plant them. You haven't hit preventive planning yet on, on June 10th because it's still a final, final planning date. That's why it is, that doesn't look right good. So but I just did a forecast for the corn basically right now. And if you put a later date over here on this first side, later on June 10th, that's the final planning date for soybeans. That's why it shows that down here as minus $39. There's some other examples of how expected rates and yields, how they change during the, the date. So that's just a, a great spreadsheet. You can you can play around yourself with numbers to see what you think and compare these different scenarios for your situation or what you want to do. I also, um, I'm gonna stop sharing. Hey Dave, can I ask a question quick? Sure. That Sorry. You've got some estimates in there for, for corn drying cost. Where, yep. where, where did you come up with those, I guess? Just out of curiosity. Um, the Iowa State started that model. So, and then uh, Bob Craven on campus uh, put that together. So that's what this is what what's this is what you find online right now. I did the modified one I showed you a little bit ago. Am I sharing it? Uh, yep. So here's um, what you see for prices that are in the screen and those costs. Basically, um, you can put your own costs in there, but these were these are generated from Iowa State and Bob Craven on campus, the two places we came from. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that was a question I had too, uh, Dave. So I see you've got a lot of numbers in here. So again, are those kind of updated each year, kind of like the seed, you know, they fertilizer, herbicide costs? Bob updated those, those numbers, but I encourage Lance, when I, you start playing with it, you want to do your own numbers. You know, that's the bottom line. You want to play your own numbers, put those in. And I didn't really, Bob wanted me to do some changing or check it out, but I said, well, find the farmer. I'm with my own numbers here anyway. So I'm not going to. Um, those are they're, they're updated yes they're current so okay so you've got the numbers in there if somebody's not exactly sure what theirs are they've got some guidelines to use correct, correct. Um, yep. that's helpful yeah all right and then i was going to go one more time and, sh and share our website um we're talking about insurance dates so i already um referenced a little bit so the planning dates again for the final planning dates again for soybeans in the whole state is june 10th which is coming right up you have a late planting period for both corn and beans at 25 days from the late planting date until <clears throat> so 25 days from May 25th and 25 days from June 10th. And um, so that's the 25th is the northern counties um, and Minnesota southern we have like 31st. But again, um, final planting dates. So you got late planting period runs from May 26th to June 19th for corn in northern part and June 
11th of July 5th. So you consider whether you want to do the late planning. Um, your insurance payments will go down 1% a day, three day after late planning date. So you have to decide if you're losing insurance coverage, what do you want to do in the counties listed here? There's also other information on this website, you know, tax considerations, eligibility, also this website, you can get to the, the table I just showed you, the worksheets, there's some examples there, of the premiums, how it works out, this is all current. Uh, so I encourage you to look at those. If you do take the plan after late planning date, you do lose uh, your rent and plant payment drops, you know, for you're going to have a 35% payment rent and plant indemnity. You're going to lose part of that indemnity by doing a plant second crop or plant something else in there. We've got examples of partial acres. You need 20 acres of a unit or more uh, to qualify or 20% of the unit to, to qualify for preventive plant. So you have to think about, they don't be conjoined in that unit, but 20% of that acreage has to be not planned to get qualified for preventive plant. So that's all in here in different places. You can read the, the definitions and descriptions and also talks about some of those same things we just talked about and that templates there again to play with on the uh, Excel spreadsheet. So these are a couple of places I encourage you to go. The crops have their own. Um, it's actually posted the crop page, the spreadsheet for the Excel. And also uh, there's good information there about yield potential losses the later you go in the planting season. So that's what I want to share today, I guess. Any okay. questions, um, I'll, be, I'll be around for the rest of the workshop. Yes. Ahead, so, Doug. so yeah, I got a question for you too. So, if somebody is considering, you know, trying to decide what to do, what would you recommend? You know, when do you know, like, when they need to contact their insurance person? Uh, is there a certain time? You know, is there deadlines for that? Or um, um, as long as these guidelines are in place, you want to make sure. You know, I always encourage you to talk to their their crop insurance agent. Period. They're going to be your first point of contact, give you the best information available, what to do, help with decisions. But again, these dates are here. You just have to make sure you follow the rules by planting those dates. And then yeah. that'll be part of the process. So you want to make sure you communicate with your crop insurance agent when you did plant. And also that's the big key for this preventive plant and late planting okay. process. And you mentioned APH. Um, you know, so how does that, you want to just describe a little bit about that and how that would be impacted if a person did take prevent plant? Well, the preventive plant won't necessarily affect their APH because it was not planned this year. So it's your five-year yield history on the APH. It's APH is your active history of your farm. So if you choose not to plant this year, that's not going to hurt you. If you choose to plant the later crop, though, the actual yield in there will be included in your yields. So that's going to affect you. Again, that APH could go down a little bit um, because we, if you look at that spreadsheet we showed you earlier, those prevented uh, planting yields were much lower than the normal APH. So that will affect your yield somewhat if you plant. But if you don't plant, it won't affect it. So again, there's good resources on here. That's, I encourage you to look at the numbers and go forward with that. Huh. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, and, and I was just curious, have you ran through some scenarios? Like, let's say we, you know, because again, some people have just been, they've just had really wide fields. They haven't been able to get in. And it's not necessarily like you get this big rain dump, but you keep getting enough moisture that just keeps, you know, keeping you out of the field. If they get past like this June 10th date, have you ran any scenarios just like with average costs? And I, I know you want to use your own, but, you know, thinking about the prices that we have with soybeans right now. Um, yeah, usually it's too about that comments and look at those numbers. And with our price of grain the way it is right now, and if we get relatively good yields, I think there's really a strong incentive to still try to plant even after June 10th. Um, you have to look at the variety you're planting, you know, go to short yield or maturity yields, but you're still going to have potential for that. And with the great prices, that's going to be probably a, a pretty good decision to plant is 
as if they keep complaining. I mean, if the conditions are planable, I mean, in the in behind my house, they keep working on the water holes and going around closer and closer to the edge, but they don't get it. It's always too muddy, and they I've seen some fields where the tracks just are terrible through the water holes, <laughs> good wet spots. So you know, um, you have to decide for yourself what you can do and what you can't. Okay. So so Seth, uh, <clears throat> as we kind of move into June here. And uh, for folks waiting to plant soybeans still, some questions kind of start to pop up with, you know, change of maturity rating. Uh, there's oftentimes questions about change of uh, uh, row spacing, should I solid seed something versus planted in rows? Um, you know, and how do I adjust my population based on date and some of those things? Do you, do you want to give us a synopsis on how you might kind of filter through and, and think about uh, changes as we move through through the time here in June. Sure. So uh, just starting at the top, you know, Dave mentioned about 75% of a yield potential. I think that's pretty right on based on our data. That's, that's directly out of some of the calculations that we have posted. Uh, we've got a long-term planning date study at Lamberton. Uh, plus, I've done some studies here and there, as well as some meta-analysis of states to our south have, have done these as well. And basically, in Minnesota, the central part uh, into southern Minnesota, for sure, we're looking at about one, on average, about 1% yield loss per day through June. So the beginning part of June, that's smaller. End of June, that's probably a little bit bigger. We're looking probably at more like a bushel per day when we get out towards the end of June. Uh, maybe a half bushel at the very beginning of June. So right now, I think, you know, five bushels a week is probably a reasonable number to think about as we as we look through it. Um, otherwise, you can look at those raw numbers. I think it's important to remember if you're at a 75% yield potential, I mean, if you have a 70 bushel field, you know, you're still going to be above 50 this year. And so there's significant yield yet to be had from those areas or those fields. Okay, so now thinking, you're addressing your question directly, what do we do? Uh, maturity is the first thing, of, of course, we need to take a look at. We've always said there's a magic date at June 10 where we switch to an earlier variety. I've come, a, come back from those recommendations a little bit because growers utilize a really wide range of maturities normally. So I would say that farmers that have been really aggressive and looking and buying really long season varieties, uh, they probably should have switched by now. On the other hand, farmers that have had really conservative, you know, normal, you know, earlier than two for Southern Minnesota, you know, ones, one and a half in Central Minnesota, those folks can hold on to their beans for a little bit longer. Uh, the, yield, uh, the yield penalty, for too long of varieties isn't really that great. Uh, we have some risk of frost in the fall, but um, typically the longer season varieties end up doing quite well. We may have some green seed in there at worst case scenario if we have an early frost. Um, but the yield penalty there's for too long of a variety is really, really small. Uh, so, and, I, and honestly, that's probably why farmers have, grown, have gone to much longer varieties is there's a greater yield potential for those, especially with when planting early. And the yield penalty is relatively low uh, for too long a variety late. Questions about population and row spacing. Uh, yes, we get a tiny benefit, um, additional benefit for narrow rows and higher populations uh, when we plant late, but it's, it's not significant, statistically significant. And honestly, the benefit is, is 
it's a relative benefit. So that, that same narrow rows or higher populations give us greater yields throughout the full spectrum of planting dates. It's just slightly larger at later planting dates. So my recommendation is to hold tight with what farmers are doing. Don't try and reinvent the wheel. Don't drag out an old drill. Don't try to you know, scatter seed on the ground and then field cultivate it in just so they can get solid seeded. Uh, use what works well for you on your farm and continue to do it. Um, there's a little opportunity to push seeding rates a little bit higher. But on the other hand, we have really good emergence this time of year. We have good stands. And so there's really not a lot of benefit of that either. So um, I would say there's not a lot to do except monitor those maturities. And for those farmers that have had really aggressive long season varieties, they need to pull those. They should have pulled those back already. Moderate adapted varieties about June 10, we can go back by about a half a maturity group. And then the big question, the one that we forget about talking about a lot is variety selection among those varieties when they go back to the seed dealer. You have to be really, as a farmer, you have to be really sure you're getting something good. If you're replacing a really high yielding full season variety with something that nobody else was willing to buy early in the season because it, it had, a, had a, um, a low yield potential, then you're probably not doing yourselves any favor and you can probably hold with what you have. So there's a lot of negotiating around all these nuances, but I think farmers can, can work these pretty well, but, but use common sense in the whole thing. And I think, um, I think you can come out okay. You know, and that brings up a question, Seth, when, you know, people do have to switch a variety, just kind of curious, you know, when you think about all the potential concerns a person has, like your herbicide package, you know, or like soybean systematode and other disease, you know, if you had to switch, do you have like kind of a prioritization of these ag agronomic traits? Like what things would you really, really want to be shooting for, you know, if these are an issue and uh, just what kind of guidance do you offer people in that? if push comes to shove and you got to make these tough decisions? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think you would normally, I would say the herbicide package, but really basically everything's going to be, for the most part, we're looking at Roundup and Liberty resistant. There's nothing else in these things that's going to offer us much. You know, there's an opportunity if there was some weird stuff put down early and maybe some GT27s or something might offer something. Um, maybe... Uh, working around the 2,4-D uh, question might be worthwhile, but, um, you know, I think most things, I think we're, we're, we're pretty much in this, you know, roundup liberty system uh, for early post. Uh, so I wouldn't worry too much about that. And the other pieces of it, I mean, I, at this point, I really want farmers to focus on yield potential. Um, there isn't, there isn't honestly as much difference among commercial varieties and a lot of these other things as, as is promoted. And I would say if we're in a best case scenario and everybody's planting the last week of April and the first week of May, uh, you can be highly selective and, you know, really pick, you know, and, and of course, if it's November of last year and you're choosing varieties, of course, be really high, highly selective. But right now, farmers just really need to good, look for good high yielding varieties. Okay, I'm preempting another question that you might have. What about seed treatments? You know, farmers <laughs> no, get all you read hung my up. Mind, so. <laughs> farmers get all hung up on this. Oh, I bought a seed treatment on my first variety, and now I'm I'm sending it back, and they don't have anything treated, or they can't treat it in time, or 
you know, don't worry about it. It's fine. Just put it in the ground. Everything's going to pop up. You know, we're going to have really warm weather coming up and things are going to come up in five days. So um, no reason to worry about seed treatments on any of these things. Yeah. In fact, don't waste your money. <laughs> thanks. Thanks for that, Seth. And, you know, another thing too, and, you know, we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier. What, what's your thoughts on, you know, still there's a lot of people that like to roll soybeans, you know, but if you've got wetter conditions out there, you know, well, for one thing, you wonder about the fuel costs and, you know, do you want to spend that extra fuel cost for that? But I know people like to roll the soybeans because it helps them with harvest ease. Um, but if your conditions are a little wet out there, I mean, what, what's your thoughts on that or what, what have you seen? The, the biggest factor in rolling is residue levels. And so um, the way I interpret my own, some of my own research, as well as Jody DeYoung Hughes' uh, work and others in other states, it's, it's very clear to me that rolling has a, the most benefit when we have high residue um, and it has uh, the least risk when we have high residue. And the other side of that is when we have low residue, we have really high risk uh, and really low value for it. So what comes to mind is these low areas, these drown out areas, and they may not have any corn stocks from last year, last year anyway, stay out of those areas with a roller. Uh, we're gonna seal it up. It's gonna cause problems. Um, we've already had, um, we've had some pounding rains early this spring that have caused, caused crusting. Those, that is much, much worse with rolled soybeans, especially again with low residue. Um, so that's a bad, bad deal. It, it, it far outweighs any benefit for um, harvest aid that we'd have or, or helping with harvest anyway in the fall. Uh, so um, I would, I would, you know, it's, it's a real religion and I wouldn't, I, I don't want to stand between a farmer and their roller. Um, it's, it's, I think it's bad politics for us to get in that fight. Um, but um, I think, um, I think it's, it's good common sense. And, and the fact is the soybeans will do very well without rolling them. Uh, it's just that farmers really like the look and they really enjoy harvesting soybeans that have been rolled. So it's, it's, it's hard to keep them out of the tractor. Um, Maybe get on the sprayer instead of on the roller uh, right after planting might so, be better advice. So I did put a comment in the, in the chat for everybody. There's a, on Sunday, we're going to cross a deadline for using dicamba and dicamba tolerant soybeans. So just a little reminder that on June 12th in the southern part of the state, so that's everything south of I-94, uh, we kind of pass that uh, cutoff restriction calendar date-wise. Once we get in the northern part of the state, north of that interstate <clears throat> 94, uh, they have until June 30th. And again, uh, in both parts of the state, we do face that temperature cutoff restriction with the 85 degrees Fahrenheit. So uh, if you're in that system, you can take a look at uh, that MDA link. It's got some real specific language in regards to uh, cutoff and utilization of the dicamba products in dicamba tolerant soybeans. So just a little side note. And theoretically we have some warm weather coming. So um, farmers, I know you've been watching the, 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 the forecasted rains and wind, but um, it's hard to imagine temperatures above 85, but they probably will be coming next week. <laughs> the nice thing though, is that, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of these soybeans now have switched to extend flex system. So it does allow you to, to pick up Liberty. If you're dealing with pigweeds that are resistant to glyphosate and uh, the group 14s, you know, things like Flexstar, 
you've got some options uh, for any of those water hemp's that might be emerging and, and have that herbicide resistance baggage. So there's, there are some, oftentimes some choices. It's not every bean I imagine out there, but I know all the extend beans we uh, acquired this year had the extend flex uh, trait system. So it allows you some flexibility on, on those later dates to kind of make some adjustments and and if you follow uh, some of those best practices, spraying small weeds and focusing on, on getting good coverage with your Liberty system, uh, you, can, you can have pretty good results. You can't, you can't wait. You got to spray those two to three inch tall weeds and make sure you use good coverage with um, plenty of AMS. Uh, the recommendation, if you look at the, the manufacturer, they'll recommend a full three pounds of AMS, uh, which is... Uh, is higher than most people have uh, been used to, but it will make the Liberty work that much better. So important to kind of pay attention to some of those as, as we move forward and cross some of those dates and, and change our plan. So, And if we're waiting to get in the field, this is a good time to make sure you've got stocks of, of the, you know, these, these various um, products on hand so that you can, you can spray, because I know there's you and I are talking about some flexibility and just going out and spraying something different. Well, farmer has to have access to it and with all these supply chain problems. There's, you know, there's I didn't think of that, Seth, that is going to be a pinch <laughs> with that Liberty. Uh, so again, probably focusing on still using some of your group 15s and, and yeah. put those residuals down and hopefully we can catch a rain to, to kind of activate those and, and bank on those giving us the best, uh, best results. So stick with our plans with some of those strategies if, if we had them in place. So. Yeah, and Ryan, if somebody didn't get their residual down pre-emergence, you know, what have you guys been finding in your plots over in Rochester, like ones that you could put on, you know, after the crop emerges? Um, you know, we we help manage one of the agronomy and, and soil fertility farms, and, and we've gone to using some of those products that allow us to give us some flexibility so we can put them on pre right at planting, or we can come back a few days after emergence and, and put them on. So some of your things like Prefex or, or, or Warren Ultra, you know, for the, for that farm, we're not dealing with group 14 uh, resistant weeds, uh, pigweeds and water hemp's. Uh, so, you know, we've got some liberty to use those. We still have uh, uh, ability to control those post-emerge with a, a product like Flexstar. So um, it's, it's allowed some, some flexibility, but certainly, um, you know, once those beans have emerged, you got to really pay attention to, to pre's because there are certain things that we lose access to after three days after planting. So important to kind of pay attention to that too. Yeah. And you just reminded me too. I mean, just thinking about like Flexstar, for example, too, with everything just slower and kind of more behind, you know, you've got that 10 month rotational restriction to corn. So we'll be keeping that in mind too, with everything, you know, if you're planning later and crop developments later, you know, when do you plan on planting corn next year too? So we just gotta be thinking about that rotation. And, and that brings up, uh, I wanted to sneak this question in too, before we wrap things up too, you know, Seth, any comments about, you know, sometimes when, when we're push comes a shove with areas getting drowned out or, you know, people have to switch around where they can plant first and not and their seed availability. You know, if, is it, is it a total train wreck if you had to do soybeans on soybeans in an area? I mean, just any cautions or thoughts on that? Um, just don't do it or, or if you got to do it, you know, what, what can you expect? And 
Well, it's, it's obviously not a recommended practice, but we know um, push comes a shove, you know, we need to do what we need to do out there. And so, um, you know, we've been, you know, the biggest issue is, is the disease side, especially SCN. And we've been pushing hard on SCN already with single source of resistance. And so um, we really have to be careful with increasing uh, SCN numbers. Um, I mean, ideally going back to this variety selection thing, <laughs> In an ideal world, if you have to go soybean on soybean, this would be a good year to try to find some Peking soybeans to put down on those areas. Uh, because the worst thing we have is we have, you know, we have more, we have basically resistant nematodes now. Um, so putting soybeans on soybeans increases our population. So not only do we have these soybeans that are more virulent on our and more damaging to on our 88788 soybeans, but by putting beans after beans, we really push numbers higher. And so then we have a lot more, um, you know, the damage is compounding in, in subsequent years. So it's not ideal, but I think farmers are going to have to do what they need to do again. And so, um, and if you can find a Peking, I would do it. Uh, but otherwise, um, uh, just go for it. Um, there are, you know, some, some seed treatments for nematodes that you could consider on beans on beans. And again, Best case scenario, maybe some Elevo or something else might be warranted uh, if you, especially if you're looking at large tracks, if you've got whole fields uh, that you couldn't get into corn and now you're switching to soybeans. You may look very carefully at something like that for managing uh, those specific things on those areas. And I think that's probably warranted in, in a year like this when we're, when we're um, in this kind of situation. All right. All right. Thank you, Seth. Well, I see we're getting close to the end here. So unless you got anything else to add, Ryan or Dave, uh, or any parting comments, Seth, um, I'll start wrapping things up here. But uh, for those of you that are listening to this on the podcast, too, we've had a lot of links posted in our chat that you can't see. But if you go to our Extension Crops website, it's z.umn.edu forward slash crops, you should be able to find, you know, a lot of the information that we're looking for, just do a search online too, um, you know, with like, you know, prevent plant choices, you know, U of M uh, and so forth. So um, again, just like to thank everybody for attending our uh, strategic farming field notes program today. And just a reminder, there's a really short survey at the end of this. Uh, one of those questions is just asking what you'd like to talk about next week. Uh, and again, thanks to our sponsors, the Minnesota Soybean Research and Promotion Council and the Minnesota Corn Research and Promotion Council. Uh, we'll have next week's next next week's session again on Wednesday at 8 a.m. Um, and also, I wanted to put in a plug. Uh, Wasika's having their field day coming up on June 21st too. So put that on your calendar. You can do a search for more information on that too. So anyway, thanks to our panelists and uh, my fellow moderator too, and our tech help today too. Uh, and have a great rest of the week. <music>